Welcome to the Your Crazy Professor, But It Might Just Work, Amazing Podcast. Episode 2, Reality TV Trolls. We have a problem with social media being less kind than it used to be. Of course, it is not social media, the phenomenon itself, that is unkind, but it's the people who use it and who are found within who are problematic. One of the few things that psychologists will agree on is that crowds are generally not good things. They are irrational, they behave stupidly, they often act at the speed of the slowest, and they usually result in bad decisions being made too quickly. Social media, Twitter and Facebook are essentially all crowds. Yes, people are separated and only connected electronically, but they think, feel and act in the same way that a crowd does, and not in the way that individuals often operate. Crowds are generally bad news, as thinking often goes out of the window in favour of members trying to gain the approval of the rest of the mob. When the internet was new and novel, people were more civilised online. When the internet was something people accessed in one location, usually the family computer or a laptop, it was almost like a special occasion. When people are online, they used to be on their best behaviour. But with increased internet familiarity comes increased confidence, and people tend to be more like their true inner selves. In addition, with seamless internet access now all around us, on laptops, phones, tablets, wearables, and now even in our cars, we are more likely to be ourselves and less likely to be the polite internet newbies we once were. We're also spending more time online too, because of the increased access, and also because more and more services move online than ever before. Couple the crowd mentality problem, with people no longer feeling the need to be nice and polite and on their best behaviour any longer, and you have two cardinal ingredients for a social media problem. Most internet users know that to cause social outrage online can result in mass shaming and mobbing as well as people being prosecuted and losing their livelihoods in some cases. Libel cases have been won over comments made on Twitter, remember Jack Monroe versus Katie Hopkins, or those who insulted Lord Charlie Faulkner. One way around this, of course, is for many users of social media to use accounts with false identities and anonymous accounts. Not only does this allow users to be their true and pleasant selves when they wish to, But perhaps it also serves to make them feel that they have to be even more unpleasant to justify the effort they've made in adopting the anonymity they have. Some social media users clearly revel in developing their unpleasant trolling characters and persona where hurtful or judgmental things are tweeted and pictures are posted for the lols, going for the joke or for the sick humour and the kudos that can come with it in the forms of acceptance, likes, retweets or going viral takes priority over being nice or thinking twice before posting a comment and pressing the send button. Compassion does not get rewarded online, but sick humour often does. Much of this activity in extremis is illegal under the Communications Act 2003, and individuals can be prosecuted if they send by means of a public electronic communications network a message or other matter that is grossly offensive or of an indecent, obscene, or menacing character, or if it causes any such message or matter to be sent. 
person can be guilty of an offence if, for the purpose of causing annoyance, inconvenience or needless anxiety to another, they send by means of a public electronic communications network a message that they know to be false, cause such a message to be sent, or persistently make use of a public electronic communications network. In many cases where social media users have found themselves in trouble for posts or for trolling, they've often declared they were unaware of the illegal nature of what they did. But such ignorance has not amounted to any substantive legal defence in UK cases. Reality shows such as Love Island and many other social contest shows are known for being like bear pits involving a tribe of people, or even worse, two crowds pitched as opposing teams in a competition, where conflict is inevitable, and even accelerated by the tasks and conditions the contestants are faced with, created all the while by producers. It is an expectation that confrontation and conflict are the bread and butter of such shows. Producers know it, viewers know it, contestants know it. Polite Socratic debate among contestants is not what viewers want from such shows. They want aggression and tension. If such scenes of conflict and antagonism were removed from the production of these shows, they would flop. Advertisers would dry up and social media chatter would cease. The viewing public is as complicit in this as the television producers. There is a phrase from the infamous American TV journalist David Brinkley, who used to say that People get the television they deserve. Distasteful as it is to say, people want this low-level conflict and antagonism in their shows, whether it's in the form of withering looks between contestants on Bake Off, boardrooms snide with The Apprentice, or a full-on fistfight in Big Brother. There has been a coarsening that is now far removed from what Lord Reith intended back in the 1920s. Reality TV shows are produced in a slick fashion. They are entertainment. For some viewers, they do not actively question that the contestant they see in a show is actually a person with feelings and emotions outside of their on-screen existence. They're not professional entertainers. We're all guilty of this to some level. How many of us have taken a dislike to an actor simply because of the character they portray on TV that we don't like? Television, we seem to have forgotten, is a very powerful and seductive entity. It's an illusion. A daily scan of any Twitter feed is littered with hundreds of users making seemingly innocuous comments about people on TV, about the shape of someone's body, the size of their nose, or mocking their disability. There is a disconnect for many viewers, because TV is so persuasive and it seems so realistic. It's a realistic fantasy. The level of national vitriol aimed at Jade Goody and Joe O'Meara following the incidents in Celebrity Big Brother 5 after they'd been seen as racists were almost unheard of at the time. Goody, of course, had also been ridiculed by the nation four years earlier in Big Brother because of her poor level of general knowledge and sense of geography. The love-hate relationship of viewers and contestants can be so fickle and unpredictable that it adds to the unreal element that many viewers may have with their relationships with the contestants. Contestants on long-running reality shows become like a fixture and public property, and their viewers encounter some kind of transaction whereby the contestant is seen as fair game for their negativity. Taking our own frustrations, and no doubt envy too, out on the people we see on TV is now a very common thing. To be confronted by electronic hate mail can be an overwhelmingly negative experience, 
frightening and sickening for those who faced it. And it should be remembered that physical hate mail sent in the post is not dead and is very much alive. Many public figures who appear in the media and online, who offer viewpoints and debates as part of their jobs, can receive plenty of unpleasant posts. Someone making an unpopular or dubious comment online runs the risk of being mobbed and vilified, with their previous exceptional conduct accounting for nothing. It seems that online, people no longer get the benefit of the doubt when they make mistakes. Unlike instant messages and tweets, hate mail requires time and effort from the sender, yet they still do it. Hateful communications are not just about the instant nature of online spite, but they're why people feel that lashing out is an acceptable form of expression, either via post or social media. Some people who receive such materials can be resilient and shrug it off, but others can be much more susceptible and fall prey to the overwhelming amount of negativity they may receive. In extreme cases, this can lead to individuals thinking that things will never get better and they see death at the time as being preferable to life and that there's no hope of things getting better for them. We become desensitised to some aspects of people feeling sad, unhappy or being in pain. We are surrounded by it and it has become currency. Fat shaming, political view lampooning, class baiting, slut shaming. The internet is more judgmental than ever before. In a form of communication such as Twitter, where brevity is required and where there's no room for subtlety, communication becomes reduced to the meme. There's certainly scope for public education here that could be quite effective. With the right education campaign tools and social action, offensive posting could become as unpopular and socially unacceptable as drink driving has become. Like successful anti-drink driving campaigns, people need to be exposed to the extreme after-effects and outcomes of their actions in order to make a cognitive decision not to do so in future. Positive behavioural change on a societal scale can be achieved. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was informative. You have been listening to the You're Crazy Professor, But It Might Just Work, amazing podcast.